Welcome to Hashtags and Stilettos with Sakita Holly, the podcast that's like having your own personal publicist in your pocket, sharing business, a lifestyle, and PR tips on demand. Today's guest is Myleek Teal. Myleek is the founder and chief experience officer at Curlbox, a monthly subscription service that changed the way women buy and discover products for their curly hair needs. She is also the host of the My Taught You podcast, where she provides invaluable career and business advice to thousands of women. Today, I'll be talking talking with Myleek about the lessons she's learned from being a serial entrepreneur, how to scale a business, and how to build a dream team. Welcome to the show, Myleek. Hi, Zakita. Thank you for having me. Of course. This conversation is, is long overdue. A lot of people have been asking me, when are you getting Myleek? I'm like, listen, oh. the woman's busy. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes, I know. I kept saying, I people invite me to be on their podcast and I was like, I want to do yours. So I'm glad that we just finally found some time to do this. It's a somewhat quiet week for me. Awesome. So I want to go back to uh, 2012. Um, it was it was a good year. Uh, a few months after you launched Curlbox, I actually, that was the first time we connected when I interviewed you for Madame Noir. And two things you said then stood out to me when I asked, you know, where do you see Curlbox in one year, in five years? And you said, at the end of the year, my goal for Curlbox is to be established as the premier service for curly hair while continuing to build awareness. And in five years, I hope to have established a brand that is the center of Brown Beauty Conversations. Now, you've successfully accomplished both of those things ahead of schedule, (laughs) but can you take me back to those early days and describe what it was like being in the trenches and like what obstacles you had to overcome to get the business where it is today? Um, sure. I mean, I remember very vividly doing that interview with you. That was one of probably one of the first sort of in-depth interviews I had done regarding the business. And I remember Mm -hmm. writing that sentence out and checking in with someone who I consider a business advisor about sort of like what, you know, cleaning up my, cleaning up what I had to say and really trying to, you know, point to what I hope to be because a lot of people probably, Oh, where do you want to be in this time? Or where do you want to be in that time? And 2012, I was 33 years old. I had, you know, a career in PR for so long and I really just wanted to, at that time, prove that I could do it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that in the first year I definitely did that. Um, and then five years, because funny enough, we'll be five in February. And I would say that, I just wanted to be a brand that people looked at when it came to like style inspiration, um, product suggestions, just Mm -hmm. overall like brown beauty and starting with hair and just trying to see like where we can go from, from there. So, uh, that's kind of, kind of how it went. And, you know, the Mm -hmm. early days were hard they, if I, if I had to do it, if I knew then what I know now, I don't know that I would have, I don't know that I would do it again. <laughs> mm, a lot of people say that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that it's awesome to be naive. You know, I think it's awesome to be really naive because, um, I just couldn't, I didn't have the, I mean, I didn't even have the bandwidth. I didn't even know about all the things that I have learned in the last four and a half years, I have learned more about myself personally, more about Mm. myself professionally, like at such an accelerated pace than I ever, ever had. And it like, it forced me to grow up. Mm -hmm. Um, it forced me to, 
I mean, there's so many things and I know that we'll, we're going to get to a ton of these different questions, but you know, I have always been a person who works really well alone. And so Mm -hmm. I've had to learn, my leak has had to learn to play with others, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think, you know, my personality is definitely sort of like leader-ish. Like I've been a leader most of my life, but then when there's this um, sort of expectation to lead people, you know, how do you do Mm -hmm. that? Um, Things like, renting and buildings and, you know, dealing with the USPS, the, you know, postal service and um, shipping aerosols and how you have to have this hazmat sticker. And I mean, there's so many things that I didn't know that I know now. Um, And I'm still learning to this day, you know, today I went out with a realtor looking for some um, space and it's just Mm -hmm. like, wow, okay, this is crazy. It was hot as I don't know what today too, but you know, so it's right. Just, so now as you're looking to get to that next level, it's like a whole new PhD. Oh, well, <laughs> that, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like we're going out places and he's like X amount of dollars per square foot. So this is 16 per square foot, 11 per square foot. This is 12. Per, I'm like, what, what are we slow down? <laughs> like, what are you slow even saying? down, sir. Yeah. But you know, new level, you, you've got to learn something new. Right. Just when you think you, just when you master one thing, you become a student of something else. Yeah, that's that's a great point. And speaking of being a student, um, what's interesting about and you've talked about this publicly, but when you first launched Curlbox, there weren't many, if any, retail or digital based beauty experiences that were centered around black women. So you've publicly explained um, like how hard it was or difficult to convince brands about the value and power of black women as consumers early on. Is this a conversation that you're still having today or do brands get it now? Yeah, it's still a conversation, believe it or not. You know, it's mm-hmm. like um, it's it, I, I would say that it's probably not much different than it was when I started. You know, it's wow. like, excuse me, there are hundreds of hair care brands, hundreds. Mm-hmm. And to date, I think I've worked with about one hundred thirty five mm-hmm. Um that's, that's a good amount, but that's still not even half, you know? Right. And, um, I just think that there are a couple things that, uh, brands, there's, there are tons of brands that get it. You know what I mean? There are over a hundred brands that obviously get it. Um, but there are still some other brands that may feel like they don't make things for us, you know, mm-hmm. like, well, even though you use this is not for you. Um, mm. There are still some brands that don't really understand how like our purchase pattern, like how we become loyal to brands through sampling. Like when we, we right. feel like you give us generous offerings, like giving a black girl a ketchup packet to use on her hair is like, it's just not going to work. Like she, just, she just can't do it. But if mm-hmm. she, you know, I, I mean, and it doesn't even matter the length of the hair. My health, my hair is in like a teeny weeny afro and I can still use, we've got some hydrating mask in our current curl box that I probably could use it two or three times, you know, mm-hmm. like two or three uses. Uh, right. And then I'm done with it. So no, yeah, it's still a conversation. And it's like, I don't know that women realize that it's still happening. Wow. So how do you combat that in terms of education? I mean, you you clearly have a proven 
business, a proven experience. But when you go into these boardrooms and have these conversations, what do you say or what do you point to to get them to see our worth? Um, I think that, you know, I have a great amount of data. I have a lot of women signed up, you know, for more information for what we do. Like our, our newsletter list is like robust. People are mm-hmm. typically shocked excuse me, people are typically shocked by the number of people that we have signed up on our list. People are typically shocked by the number of young women who sort of like respond to our surveys when we reach out to them. It's like Mm -hmm. people, we, we just go, this is the information. You know what I mean? Some of it is just like, I'm not making this up. And then we also point to like, um, to our level of influence. So while we may sample to a certain amount, we are able to influence so many people socially, um, and you can just see it in the comments. If you go look on any of our social media right now, um, mm-hmm. with the exception of people saying, I, I had spills, um, mm-hmm. a lot of it is like, I really love this. You know, I really tried this. Or you'll see a lot of things with people saying, I, they don't even get Curlbox, but they bought this, you know? Right. And so I think that um, our continuous growth shows them that this is important and we are important. And, you know, we've been selling out for four and a half years, which just goes to show that, like, people need this. Like, we need this. So... So speaking of uh, that and, and kind of I want to talk about what it does to us when we know that, you know, you're having that challenge when you pitch uh, your business on our behalf. But over the last few years, the Internet and social media have created space for companies and experience such as Curlbox and movements that affirm our existence like Black Girl Magic. So while we as black women have these outlets to turn to that validate us, there are still a lot of events in society as a whole that exclude us or serve as a reminder that we somehow don't matter. So how can we as black women in business not allow that negative rhetoric to seep into our psyche and make us play small? You know, I, that's a, that's a good question. And I think that you could apply that to pretty much anything, you know what I mean? In your, in your, in a boardroom, in relationships, like just really having the confidence and just knowing who you are, what you are about and what you stand for. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I still, I go to things. And when I first started out, I used to feel like maybe I didn't matter. or Maybe I was small or, you know, I've been on phone calls with the largest retailer in the world. And it's like, I just have to remind myself that these people call me, right. They call me because I know what I'm talking about. And so, um, I've talked about this before, but I used to have these feelings of being bullied professionally and not Mm -hmm. like not, and I'm not talking about from like the, um, not from like the consumer angle, but from the business angle, you know, from other businesses, I would feel like, Oh my God, I'm being bullied. And so I do, um, therapy and I do occupational therapy. So I have had a professional to talk to for four years. And Mm -hmm. I remember saying to her, like, they're bullying me. And she was like, okay, let me ask you a question are they bullying you or are you intimidated? Mm. And so I looked at her and every time she does that to me, I always go, well, you're the professional. Like you must be (laughs) right. You must be trying to tell me this. Uh, It's not a real question. And so that made me think that I was like, wow, um, I'm intimidated. And so then we started to talk about, well, why are you intimidated? And I was like, well, 
I think I'm intimidated because I don't have, you know, my degree is in fashion. I have a degree mm-hmm. in consumer and family science. And my background is really, it's NPR, but it's mostly like in the digital space and the music business. And mm-hmm. so I think, you know, every time I would get on these calls, I would start looking at people's LinkedIn pages and I'm like, oh my God, mm-hmm. they know more than me. She worked here. She graduated <laughs> from Yale. These people are going to eat me alive. And it was just like, you know, we just had to have that conversation of like, no, does all of this stuff doesn't matter you know what you know, and people are calling you because of what you know, and basically standing firm in what you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the thing that I just think that we can't doubt ourselves, you know, we can't doubt ourselves and doubt the stuff that we know. Um, right. And so, I don't know, I guess, I hope that answered it. Yeah, that that definitely did. I think that that's going to help a lot of people because it's so easy to internalize the messages, even as we're fighting against them or even as we're, you know, excelling or accomplishing things. So I definitely think that that that'll be helpful. But while we're on this topic of just kind of negative energy or just negative allowing negativity to affect how we move in the world. In the beginning, uh, one of some of your early experiences in Curlbox, there were a handful of people who were very vocal about their feelings regarding you personally and the business. And for whatever reason, they didn't like either one. And there were times when you would publicly defend yourself. And I think in some cases that may have added more fuel to the fire. How did you deal with that in those moments? And I know you have therapy now, but at that period in your business, like when it seemed you couldn't do anything right for anybody. And see, what's interesting is that I, in some times, I felt like it added some fuel to the fire. And at other points, it was just like, you're not going to bully me. And I think Mm. so many people are afraid to post stuff on social media because they're so worried about who's going to jump down on them about how they feel or what they think. Mm -hmm. And the one thing you always have to remind people is that you can talk on your page. Right. You can't talk it on mine. You know what I mean? It's like use your platform for your opinions because that's what I'm using mine for. Right. So um, it was in the beginning. It was awful. You know, it was it was terrible. It's something I'll never forget. But, you know, I think I read Katie Couric said that, like, that's all that crap is in the fine print of success. It's like Mm -hmm. the minute you cross over, it's almost like how you know you've made it. It's like Mm -hmm. you're not really popping until people are chewing you up and tearing you apart. Um, Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize that at the time. I didn't know that that was like, oh, that's, that's like, you made it. Like, that's like the, 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 you know, the sort of. The rite of passage. Yes, absolutely. And so, um, I don't know. It was like, I I dealt with it. Uh, I'm still a person that you probably notice now that people don't do that anymore. It's like, Mm -hmm. I don't deal with that. I think people. People pick on people they know they can, and they always try. And I think people initially thought, I don't know why, that they could pick on me. I think they probably thought I was square or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't play that. So um, people stopped picking on me because they saw that I will always stand up for myself. People, you know, every every so often, maybe twice a year, somebody will, like, write something terrible. Mm -hmm. But I'm just like, it's fine. Um, <laughs> well, now that now that the sentiment has clearly changed uh, toward you and the business, like, but in those moments, like, were you ever like, you know what, fuck this, I'm not. No, no, <laughs> no. Okay, absolutely not, because that's what people want you to do. People, mm. instead of 
using their time and energy to go do something great for themselves. They'd rather pour it into watching you fail. And just Mm. knowing that is like energy for me to be like, you can't destroy me. Like you, you can't make what you, you can't destroy what you didn't make. Like I'm not yours. Like Mm -hmm. I know who I belong to, you know what I mean? And it's just like, not to be overly religious because I'm not, but it's just like, I have always had a strong faith in God. And so I know who I belong to. I don't blame you. So say whatever, you know, it's like, until I feel like it's like, I know who I belong to and who I report to and anything you say, it's just not, it doesn't even matter. But yeah, I get it. No, I never was like that. I never know. Like, I will never give up. I will never give up over stuff like that ever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I've, I've noticed is that this happens a lot with black owned businesses in our community and small businesses where people are so vocal. Like, you know, there are cases when, yes, something went wrong and it could have been handled differently. But just in general, I feel like people are so vocal coming out against the small business or they feel like they have to drag or teach the CEO a lesson. But I rarely see that same pressure put on larger companies or general market companies. Do you have that same observation? And if so, why do you think this type of thing happens? Um, I think it happens for a couple of reasons. One of them is that I don't, I think over the years, a um, couple of reasons. Over the years, we as customers, black people um, as customers just have not been treated right. You know, mm-hmm. so we, when people do things for us, they're just not that great. And so we sort of been conditioned as like, you're not going to give me the best because you don't think I deserve the best or whatever. So I understand that, you know, even when you used to buy hair products, they weren't that great. They weren't that great for a long time. Mm-hmm. Like people just didn't put a lot of effort into them. So I think that's one part of it. The second part of it is that I think sometimes um, many people have had just um, not so good experiences with black owned businesses. You know, I think that they have just Mm -hmm. felt like perhaps they didn't do the best job. And so I knew coming in that there would be an expectation that because I'm young and I'm African-American woman, that perhaps I can't run a business like anybody else. So I think there's that expectation. Mm -hmm. Um, so you mix the two and I can give you an example. You mix the two, you already assume that it's not going to be great. And then you already feel away because black owned businesses, you just haven't had the best experiences. And then you feel like, There's also, I think, a small portion that people will probably not like to admit a small bit of like jealousy or envy that why didn't I do that? Or why don't I have the guts to chase my dreams? And Mm -hmm. almost just like a, and I'm gonna get all extra deep, but almost just like a fighting with yourself, you know, Mm -hmm. a yelling, like seeing, seeing yourself and others and then being like yelling at yourself because you're really angry that you didn't do something. So you combine all of that and somebody has a spill in their box and it's just like World War, you know, it's like you've had things spilled before. The end of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's wet goods. We're going to replace it because we know that if we ship thousands of wet goods, a couple are going to get damaged along the way. And while we hate that this happened to you, it's just the law. It's the law of averages. You know, it's not even anything that we can technically control. So even if you tape mm-hmm. it, seal it, whatever. Um, so I think that that's some of it is why, you know, and I deal with it. Like I've dealt with it. Um, for a long time. We still deal with it. All that stuff still happens, you know? It's like, mm. that hasn't changed either. So you think it hasn't, me convincing some of the companies about us hasn't changed and, the, and me and the customers um, not feeling, you know, on edge hasn't changed either. 
<laughs> well, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about how you scaled your business. So Curlbox is your second company. The first was a PR firm called Artifacts PR. Mm-hmm. What, what were the biggest lessons you took from running that first business that you applied to how you built Curlbox? Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, my first business was a consulting business that I pretty much did. I would say for the most part by myself, I did have someone, I had like a virtual assistant mm-hmm. um, help me and she still works with me to this day. Um, That's awesome. Yes. She will be in Vegas. She's going to finally meet all these different brands. She's been virtual for six years. Nobody has ever met her. So people are excited to meet. She's excited to meet people, but I've That's had, awesome. yeah, I've had, um, it was just me and her for the most part. And so Mm -hmm. that just doing consulting work and PR work is really just time consuming. I just shook my head because I'm just like, yes, girl. It's time consuming, (laughs) emotionally draining, um, a host of things, you know, very rewarding in some ways, but it's Mm -hmm. a lot. And I don't know, I guess maybe, because I think I only did that for like two years, I think. Mm But I think I just kind of knew that as I was working with different clients that I needed something more like what they had versus what I had. Mm. So um, that was like just a real like lessons, I think, in owning that company. That honestly was my first time doing it and I did really well. So I didn't really have any like severe hiccups. Mm -hmm. I had like one or two instances when people didn't pay me. Um, and so that was like uh, annoying, you know, but mm-hmm. other than that, um, it was easy, you know, it was pretty easy to just build a plan, execute the plan, get paid for the plan. Mm-hmm. So since you already had one business experience under your, under your belt, what were some key things you did to ensure Curlbox's success early on? You've talked uh, before about, you know, making sure you had business advisors and things like that. But were there any other things that you did in the beginning um, that you can point to and say, OK, this helped us get here? Hmm. I think that's interesting. Because the truth is that I really didn't know what I was doing. Um, <laughs> I, I, I didn't know what I was doing. And I was like super honest about that. You know how some mm-hmm. people just like, I'm not the kind of person that's like, I'm not a know-it-all. I'm a okay. know-it-all about the stuff I know it all about. <laughs> and mm-hmm. this is my topic. I got it. But when I know I don't know, I think like one of the business advisors that I work with always says like, I think what makes you successful is that you stay in your lane. You know, it's mm-hmm. like I can, I accept the fact that I don't know what I don't know. So, um, all the areas that I didn't know, I reached out to people that knew it. So, you know, packing and shipping at the time, um, my best friend was an executive at UPS. Mm-hmm. So he, and he was like a, logistics captain. I don't know what the, how they rank things in the army, but he had went to West point and he had done logistics and then he was an executive at UPS. So this was like, he helped point me into a bunch of different directions on how to like, you know, ship thousands of boxes kind of like on the same day, you know, every month that takes like insane planning, um, and to Mm -hmm. do it really well. And so he connected me with some of his, um, another West point classmate of his that actually, owned a company that did, did that. So Mm. I had all these amazing resources, you know, it's like, um, 
different people, you know, different, your designer to just like work with the designer. We designed the very first Curlbox website, me and my designer. We designed it like at my, like at my Ikea kitchen table at the time. We just Mm -hmm. sat there and it was really just kind of like a screensaver that we built and just stuck it up there. Um, all these crazy things, you know, it's just like, Mm -hmm. you know, going to the bank and getting, you know, because you have to get approved to, the bank was looking at us like, because people sign up to become members a month before they get their box. And the bank was mm-hmm. like, how are customers okay with this? Like, because if you right. order something from Nordstrom, you got to They got to ship it like within 48 hours. And I was like, mm-hmm. they want to be a part of this. So it was just all these sort of like little things. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that I don't know that, that I really can say it was one specific thing besides just being super honest with myself about when I didn't know something Mm -hmm. and not trying to like act like I did, you know? Right. One of the things that you mentioned that it's a perfect segue and you talked about if you don't know something, you kind of find the people that do and you, you just stay in your lane. And that's one of the things I think is amazing um, about how you hire and build a team just from an outsider's perspective. And I want you to describe your process a little bit. Um, and a lot of people probably don't know this, but you actually hired me early in the company's history as a contributor to the Curlbox blog. And I remember it was a, the shortest conversation. It was like after we had did, a, did our interview, you were like, okay, I, th- I think you're a great writer. I I need a great writer. Here's what I'm looking for. Can you do it? And you just stepped aside and was like, okay, go ahead. Yeah. And, you know, is that how you've always operated as a boss? Because I think that is a very special and rare skill. Um, I would say so. Like, I think that um, I am sometimes good at hiring and I'm sometimes bad at hiring. Okay. Mm-hmm. So from like you, I, I was like, when you said from an outsider perspective, I was like, yes, very outsider. Um, (laughs) I think that I have made some really good hires, um, just by identifying talent. Um, but one thing that I'm working on, um, and it's just to be super transparent. One thing that I'm working on is trying to separate, um, talent from sort of like grit or stick to itness because Mm -hmm. there are a lot of talented people in the world, but they, don't have the balls, you know, like, Mm -hmm, and -hmm. sometimes you need that more than anything. And I've tried a whole bunch of different methods. I have read, um, I read this book, like how to hire. So sometimes what I try to do is I try to intimidate people in the interview because Mm -hmm. that sort of lets me know how they're going to respond under pressure. Mm -hmm. So I will create a scenario where I just pull the safety safety nade out and be like, look at the resume and be like, so you did this and did that. That doesn't seem like, you know, that doesn't seem like something that would be this, like try to like pick some, put them on the spot. Yeah. Put them on the spot or make them uncomfortable. Like, even if Mm -hmm. it's like, even if what I'm saying is not true, how do they deal with someone coming at them? Because Mm. What we do is that, you know, and I think we can function very well and be so small because we, I have a team of people who, um, are, are soldiers. Like they're just, they're hustlers. They, they make it happen for themselves. And I'm deeply attracted to people who are entrepreneurial. So half of my team, probably more than half of my team is just like contracted out. Like Mm -hmm. I have employees and I have people who, who, work for me and then they have something have for their own thing. yeah and mm-hmm. I like that because those are people that don't have to be micromanaged 
I am not a good manager. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like I will, you could write that down. You could, (laughs) I am not a good manager, meaning I have no desire to stand over anybody Mm -hmm. and be like, did you do this? Did you do what I'm paying you to do? Are you kidding me? No, but I do understand that some people need that. So trying to work on that too. But yes, I do. I try to like, um, I do a couple of different little things to see Mm -hmm. if this person will work out. And then sometimes they don't work out or people expire, you know, yeah, I've learned that that's been hard too. And having to fire people is easily one of the hardest things I ever have to do in my life. So you, you definitely touched on a lot there and, but I want to go a little bit further. So a lot of business owners, I think myself included are challenged in that area because we have trouble letting go of certain parts of the business. Or I think the way you said, you're not a good manager, you don't want to stand over people that could also be it. But how do you reconcile that as someone who places a high premium on excellence? And like, what advice would you give to other business owners who know that, you know, to get to that next level, they have to build a team or they have to bring other people into the fold, but they have a hard time doing it? Well, I think people don't want to do it because they're afraid that someone's going to steal from them. And guess what? Mm. People are going to steal from you. If people can't steal from you, then they probably don't want to work for you. And they shouldn't work for you because you have nothing to offer. So that's that's the thing where you're like, okay, I know that people who want to work for me want to work for me mostly because they want to learn something from me. That's Mm -hmm. fine. Um, That means that I have to always make sure that I'm so on top of my game. Like I had somebody, I had a meeting over the weekend and she was like, don't you ever fear that like someone who has worked for you will then figure out what you know and then run off and do the same thing. I'm like, I encourage them to like try it. But you know, I understand that they, yeah, there's the thing that there's the thing that I have that a lot of people don't have. And it's the stuff that makes me, me, it is, you know, it is my DNA. It's my magic. Like you can't steal my magic. Can you steal my contact list? Sure. Can you copy a result? Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. But it's like, you can't steal my magic. So I don't worry about that. And I am very much like, I love, like, I'm like a teacher. I Mm -hmm. love to train and to teach people, not manage them, but to train and teach people, (laughs) you know, show them methods and ways. And so, you know, I think that when people realize that you are giving them something, they give you something back. And then you just have to remember, Sakita, you guys, I think so many people don't think about this. Mm -hmm. This is business. So as long as you're getting a paycheck, like, like I think sometimes people get confused even when they work for me because I'm very open and I'm very fun and I like to do things and I like to be team oriented and I'm very generous, but understand that this is a contract. I'm doing this for you because you're doing something for me. Once Mm -hmm. you stop doing something for me, the contract ends means I'm not paying you. You're getting fired. Doesn't mean I don't like you as a person. But Mm -hmm. loyalty to this stuff is a two way street. And I think people just forget that. So I'm like, you know, I will I think I get sort of like and you have to pay people. This is the thing I do not like is that people Mm -hmm. do not want to pay people. I don't I don't accept any free work. Mm -hmm. So even we have an intern with us for the summer, she gets paid every week. And it's like, you know, she's getting paid for her time. And I think. Right that's going to make her step up and do a good job, do her best job. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, so many people ask me that I, I have uh, like, you know, I can only be, in, I can only be 
I'm just my leak. I cannot be all over. And so I have the personal, when people don't want to have an assistant, it's like, I have to have that because I had to go look at properties today. My AC Mm -hmm. also went out in two floors in my house. I cannot keep sleeping in my dining room. Like she has. You can't be in more, you know, 10 places at one time. Mm -hmm. Or you're going to suck. Yeah. You're going to suck. You pay someone to help you be able to make more money. Right. So you touched on this a little, but how can a small business owner with limited monetary resources recruit, groom, and build a dream team? Like what types of creative incentives could or should they introduce to entice people to work for them before they, you know, can pay them what that person is worth? Well, the first person I hired, who was Diana, who who still works for me, I hired her um, six and a half years ago when I was not making a grip of money. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I went on Craigslist, which I don't know if I recommend that today. There was not as many, this is pre-social media. I want right. to say this right. is pre-Instagram, but you know, um, I went on Craigslist and I kind of just was like, I need someone to just like constantly follow up or make sure things don't fall through the cracks. And mm-hmm. I told her, we met at Starbucks here at Atlantic station. And I was like, I don't, all I have is $100 a week. You know, you ain't got to come nowhere. There's no office. Um, $100 a week. I just need two hours a day, two Mm -hmm. hours to just like have her do a bunch of little trivial things that she was like, this is, I wanted her to do the things that, um, I was emotionally, emotionally collected to emotionally connected to that she wasn't. So mm-hmm. it would take me forever to like follow up with somebody that needed to get paid. Cause you just feel, why do people make you feel bad when they owe you money? Right. you like, right. listen, <laughs> listen, we, we, you need to do a masterclass yes. on that because. Yes. Uh. So I was like, she didn't care. This is a, this is a woman who's trying to hustle. Diana had the time she had two kids. She, you know, she wanted something that to pick up some extra dough she doesn't care about these people who so she right. had no soul like you need to pay you know I'm, calling, <laughs> I'm checking in so that you can pay this person and so I had her do for two hours a day the things that I just couldn't bring myself to do or, right. or it would just take me too long so mm-hmm. she started doing that and then um I remember I was like breaking up with the boyfriend and I was moving out and I told her, I was like, okay, I got to move. So I'm not going to be able to pay you. So I got to let you go. Mm -hmm. And I ended up moving out and she was just like, she checked back in with me Mm -hmm. and come to find out, like I still really could afford it. And I think sometimes we think $400 a month is a lot, Mm -hmm. but by having her, I had put myself in a position to earn an extra, say 4,000 a month, you know? So, because, and then there's just something sexy about somebody else speaking on your behalf. Something about that triggers people to start taking you real serious, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that was really great. Um, And then who did I hire after that? You know, from her, I think some of my other hires were just like, um, I don't know. I try to think about all the people that I have working for me. I think sometimes people don't realize stuff like, you know, I have a laundress, which some people are like, are you, you know? why I'm like because I don't like laundry and I promise you when I do it it takes like two full days Mm -hmm. um and I have someone who can do it in eight hours so you pay for that um but that's just I hire I always hire to free up my time you know Mm -hmm. so it's like all right it's an investment it completely is and and the Mm -hmm. right person the right person will help you make your money back 
Right. So as we um, talk, continue to talk about like scaling your business, another thing that I think when I think of Curlbox is about your relentless discipline. Because one of the things when I first, and you talked earlier about you creating that splash page for the first website, and that's when I saw it. Like it was literally, you may have only had it up for a few weeks. Somebody sent it to me. The first thought was, this is brilliant. Because I knew that one, it was so important, so necessary. But I knew you could literally take it into a million different directions. But you've been very disciplined in your growth strategy. Why is that? Um, I just think that like you have to take the time to figure out how to do one thing really well. You know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. people contact me all the time, and nobody's short on ideas. You know, and it's not like right. I don't think about them either, but. I just, I think about that. And then I think about profitability. I think that like, there are plenty of things that I'd love to do that wouldn't make me any money. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, mm-hmm. that would be That's great. Margins are too thin, you know? Mm-hmm. So people are like, you should do a pop-up store. And I'm like, okay, but I have an online business with like insanely limited overhead. So I'm going mm-hmm. to like chop my profit in half or a quarter so that I could be sick. So I could look like somebody else. Like right. a lot of what I do is just about making smart business, business decisions. And so sometimes when people don't see me doing things, it's not because I'm not aware. It's just because I ran the numbers and that just won't work for me. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's why. Yeah. <laughs> like well that that's the reason yeah <laughs> if, it, if it don't make money it don't make sense yeah <laughs> Well, one of the, another interesting part of that growth strategy, uh, has been your decision to maintain a certain threshold for Curlbox membership levels. Whereas there are other subscription based companies who keep their membership open around the clock and they have ballooned. And in some cases, some have millions of subscribers. And you're just like, you know, nah, (laughs) we're good at this number. Like what drove that decision to, because I mean, that is one area that's proven the numbers check out. You could, you know, know, open it up and, and be twice or, or three times as large, but you're just like, you know what? No. Um, I think for the brands that have millions of subscribers, th- that those businesses aren't profitable. Mm-hmm. So that's something, and that's not a secret. Like you can go and you can Google any of those types right. of you know, the ones, a lot of the ones in beauty, there are some, but a lot of them are not necessarily profitable and they're looking for other ways. They have, you know, they've gotten buku investment dollars. Mm-hmm. And I think that you can do all of that stuff when you just got money, you know, when somebody gets to, to spend, to spend. Um, for me, I think that like, I always, I always wanted it to feel exclusive because I mm-hmm. felt like that is something that sometimes is missing in the brown beauty space, you know? And a lot of people right. have like a limitless, like, you know, I want to make limitless money and I totally get that. But, um, I always knew that I wanted it to be exclusive because I worked in Hollywood before I did this and I was, and I always knew that like exclusive keeps it sexy. And so right. one thing you probably also have noticed that you've never seen me do that you've seen all these other people do is we don't use this code for 50% off. Use this like, yeah, when you start to do that, then you have to give stuff. It dilutes it. Yeah. Yeah. We've don't, mm-hmm. we haven't had to do that. Our our members respect us enough to pay us what they think we're worth. And it's like, and I respect them enough to do my very best to get, bring them the best that I can. Mm -hmm. Well, without giving too much away, are there any other areas where you'd like to see or build a curl box like experience? It doesn't necessarily have to be uh, subscription based. Um, I don't, 
don't know. And that's kind of like what I've been kicking my mind, kicking around in my mind a little bit. So, um, we, there are going to be, I have some new, new things coming. Mm -hmm. Um, I am like, I am growing as a professional woman. And so that Mm -hmm. part is always interesting to see. Like, I think every time I do something, every time I do something I didn't think I could do, like then something else happened. So I think that, mm-hmm. um, I don't know what I might do, uh, because I didn't think, I didn't know that I thought I could do this. Mm. So I don't know. I don't have, I don't have anything planned at the moment, but that doesn't mean you won't see something. Right. I mean, I think we've learned that about you. My <laughs> league. <laughs> I, th- I think we've definitely learned that. Yeah. But, you know, I feel like we're going to have these conversations periodically. So I have to kind of ask that question that I asked you sure. four years ago. Sure. What do you envision five years from now for Curlbox? You've already changed the conversation. So yeah. what's wh- where are we going? Um, you know, I think that now we just have to spend some more time sort of like, deepening our relationship and like amplifying our voice so that we get the respect I feel like we deserve in terms of mm-hmm. like beauty influence. Um, mm. So we are having the curl box awards, which I think is going to be awesome. Um, continuing to like, we have, we have established ourselves with the consumers, but we, I want to continue to establish ourselves where we are respected by other businesses. And that takes mm-hmm. time because you're up against, you know, I think I had a conversation with Rich of Shea Moisture and he was just like, I've been, I've been doing this. Like I've been making over a million dollars for 20 years where you just mm-hmm. like, Whoa. I, and you, and you're like, let me sit down. Like, right. like <laughs> let me, you know, people have been doing this for a long time. And so I think that just being patient, continuing to pay my dues, continuing to just get out there, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and grind. But yeah, for four or five years, I, I don't, I don't know. So when we check back in, you will be like four or five years ago, you said you didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> and and now you built a whole city. Oh, Thanks. I don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, one the interesting thing you mentioned the Curlbox Awards. I can tell you that from you know I represent brands that from a brand perspective that is a coveted award. Yeah. We are like you know people are like okay well who's nominated this year? What do we got to do? Awesome. You know yeah. So so that is already happening. That conversation is is definitely happening. You should know that. But um, before we get out of here, I would be remiss. You know we talked about Curlbox and everything, but I really want to talk about the time that you've spent um, and. To you, you you may feel like I haven't even spent that much time, but building your personal My Taught You brand of digital career mentorship. So you have the podcast, you have the merchandise, and you have your journals. Do you see this as being like, in, in the, on the personal side, the next logical step for you as a future beyond Curlbox, or is this just something that you'd naturally be doing regardless at this point? Um, probably a good mix of the two. So like, you, I, I've been around for a long time. I mm-hmm. have like, don't make it sound like you're 80. <laughs> no, but I am old. I think younger people, I'm new to a lot of people and mm-hmm. I have been sort of around and on the internet for a very long time, like message mm-hmm. boards, all that kind of stuff. And I started podcasting in 2011 
because some people who follow me on Twitter were just like, this is such great info. We'd love it if you would just like say this, like, like explain this, you know? Mm -hmm. So I started doing that and then I found it to be extremely sort of cathartic. It felt so good to like document the things that I had like taught myself. Mm -hmm. Um, and then as a joke on Instagram, this person that I had met when I was like working with Kim on Real Housewives, he, I followed him on Instagram and he would be like, Trey taught you. And mm-hmm. so I was like jokingly like my taught you. And then I just started, kept saying it. Like I kept hashtagging it. Like probably mm-hmm. if you go way, way back to the first my taught you hashtag, that's probably what they were like jokes. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then as things would come to me, like all these different things, they come to me, like I'll deal with a scenario or I'll get a phone call or I'll deal with an employee and something will just hit me. And I'm just like, you know what? I really want to get this out. And so, um, what happened, the only reason why I kind of like built an online space and started to sell things was I felt like I had this like amazing sort of like group of people who wanted like a home, you know, and right. wanted a piece of me, like wanted to be able to have something that, and so I was like, you know what, I can share these things. So the journals that I sell on my website um, are the actual journals that I, that I have used my entire career as a professional. Like I have Mm -hmm. one sitting on my desk right now. They are not, you know, ultra expensive, but I just, I love them because they're durable, the sheets rip out and all that. So I reached out to them and asked them if they would make custom ones for me. And I told them my story and they were like, absolutely. So Mm -hmm. that was like, I wanted to create a space where I could do that. And so I don't know, like, I love the speaking. I don't do a ton, ton of speaking because I still like, I still got to do my work. Um, <laughs> but doing my taught you is, is very selfish for me because mm-hmm. it's like what I get to do for myself and how right. I want to do it. Um, and there's no, I mean, there is a small, my taught you team, you know, we have a customer service, customer service person and then mm-hmm. people who help me. But for the most part, it's me, you know, and right. it's my thing, it belongs to me. For now. For, for now. now. Because yeah. you know, you know your people. They they want everything. They want the My Taught You cookbook. Yeah. You know, they want the Snapchat show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. For now. But it's it's a it really is just an awesome outlet. It's the thing mm-hmm. that I get to do to like take a break from some of the curl box work. And the curl box work is you know, it's big, you know, it is, right. it is that. So. Okay. Well, we're going to close and I have just one question while we're talking about the personal branding stuff. Mm-hmm. What is one universal tip that anyone could use to enhance or build, uh, start building their own personal brand today? Uh, one universal tip. I saw that question and I'm like, there's no one universal tip. <laughs> I would say I would give some tips, right? Mm-hmm. If you're going to start building your own personal brand, you have to be interesting. You know mm-hmm. how you become interesting by being interested in things. So mm-hmm. you have to be interested in things so that you can share the things that you're interested in. Another mm-hmm. thing that you should do is make sure that like your social names and handles, um, that they can make sense to everybody besides just you. Like they Mm -hmm. don't need to be deep and over the top or whatever. (laughs) And they need to be consistent across all platforms. So no swaggy girl 36. No swaggy girl 36. (laughs) You know, if you. On fleet 24 all day. No, no blue dreams, (laughs) this and that. Like, (laughs) 
Um, try to pick something that, you know, if you can use your name, if your name, like with a person name, like my leak, I was like, well, that's it, you know? Right. Um, but if, easy, easy. if you got a, if you got that kind of name, I say, just do that. Like Oprah, it, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. Oprah, your name. Um, right. and then I just think that one of my girlfriends, I always say this to people, you should have a professional headshot because mm-hmm. what that does is it allows you to do a lot of different press things and you can be featured because you've got a cool photo. So like who cares mm-hmm. what you have to say if you don't have a dope photo of yourself and that needs to be high resolution mm-hmm. and it's not an Instagram picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that those things will help just like cleaning yourself, clean, getting it together so that you're primed to be picked. That's perfect. That's a perfect yeah. place to end. Is there anything else you want to, you want to tell the people or, no, I mean, I just always want to say, I always thank everybody for even caring what I have to say. It still blows mm-hmm. my mind every time I go somewhere and people are like hugging me or bring me my journals and we sit and we talk and they tell me all the things that they've accomplished. It really mm-hmm. just blows my mind. So I'm always just grateful. So I'm always like, thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for being a great example and for just putting it all out there for all of us, the good, the bad, and because it allows us to see your growth and to see ourselves in different parts of your growth. So thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Takita. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hashtags and Stilettos. Tweet me your feedback using the hashtag Hashtags and Stilettos spelled out and follow Hashtags and Stilettos on Instagram. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Miss Success. That's M-I-S-S Success. And you can find today's guest, Myleek Teal, everywhere at Myleek. That's M-Y-L-E-I-K. Make sure you spread the love and share this episode with a friend to get the hashtags InstaLittles podcast back on the top iTunes podcast business charts where we belong. Thank you again.